Yes, I leave on my sabbatical tomorrow for six weeks. Yes, I am enthusiastic about it. You know what's great about me going on sabbatical right now? It's that I don't feel that tired. I, you know, I, I don't feel exhausted. I don't feel like I'm fried, which is usually when pastors get sabbaticals is when they're just ruined. And they're like, oh, man, Andrew looks really bad. I mean, I know I do look bad. I know I look tired. But I, I, I just mean to say, like, I'm feeling passionate and excited, and I've got vision, and, you know, that's not what I'm searching for on this sabbatical. Yeah, I mean, we can praise God for that, and I praise God for that. And the other cool thing is nobody's conspiring to fire me. Because that's, like, the other reason that pastors get sent on sabbaticals is like, hey, man, send this guy on a sabbatical. We've got to figure out what to do next. Like, at least I don't think anyone's conspiring. I guess that's what makes it a conspiracy. You don't know. I'll find out in six weeks, but... No, I'm just, I'm just enthusiastic, guys, and, I, and it, it just was such a reminder. This I felt like God just blessed me so much. One calling that I feel is on this church community on me, and it's not like a woe is me thing, but just this calling to sow, to sow seed, to do labor, to do work for the kingdom, not expecting always to reap, not always expecting to see a return. And there are some ministries, it's like they're kind of more on the reaping side of things. They get to see a lot of the fruit. They get to see a lot of the effect, but... The Lord just kind of said, hey, I want you to sow. I want you to do the work. And, and yet on Wednesday, like my last day of this week, I just felt like God was just downloading all the fruit. I was getting messages on Wednesday, and there's testimonies being given in the staff meeting. It was like from morning till night, the Lord was just encouraging me in a very unique way that I haven't experienced in months. And just before my sabbatical, what a gift. So I'm just like, no, feeling I'm missing out. I want to be there on Wednesday night for the baptisms and the hangout. And, you know, I want to be here during some of the church unity stuff that's happening that we've been working for for over a decade. And during this Second Timothy series, you're going to see three local pastors of communities that we've partnered with over the last several years. They're going to be here preaching and teaching in the setting of our community. One church is actually going to attend with us one of the weeks. I want to be here for that. I've been working for this stuff for 10 years, and now to see it come to fruition this way, man, it's just so, it's so exciting. So I know I'm going to be coming back, starting a new series on the other side of Second Timothy, on the other side of Labor Day, and I'm just going to be sentimental to the max, guys. So you're going to want to be here that Sunday, because I'm going to be like Pastor Brown. I, was, I love you guys. I love you guys. Every three seconds, I love you guys. I'm just enthusiastic, but I'm also excited because I'm here for the start of Second Timothy. That's the way that I set it up as I could kick off this series and then some of our team of teachers that you guys are normally used to and then also those local pastors are going to come in and fill in the next six weeks. But if you'd want, open up right now to 2 Timothy. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. One of the ushers will pass you a Bible so that you can have it in your hands as we get into this book. Let me give you a little background. We'll start there. Uh, 2 Timothy is the Apostle Paul's last letter before his death sometime between A.D. 64 and 67. When the book of Acts concludes, that is the early history of the early church, we find Paul is in, under house arrest in Rome. He had some Jews, law-abiding Jews in Jerusalem, rally against him, and that led him on this journey of eventually ending up in Rome. And it's not really a negative thing. He's kind of in a decent situation. He's able to preach the gospel in Rome to the authorities. Really, the gospel's gone to the ends of the earth. It's kind of a positive ending to the book of Acts. But we find either quickly after that account in the book of Acts, his situation is deteriorated and he's executed. 
just before then Second Timothy is written, or possibly he's released, there's a fourth missionary journey that's not documented in Acts, and then he ends up in this state of imprisonment and then is eventually executed. We don't know how it all plays out. There's some missing gaps here. But we do know that the situation he's in while he writes this letter is not a positive one. He speaks in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16 of being in chains. So this is in house arrest. Now he's really, he's rotting in a cell probably. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, he says he's being poured out like a drink offering. He knows the time of his departure and death is drawing very close. Now this is a difficult way to finish out your ministry. Paul has spent decades planting churches and encouraging people and preaching the message of Jesus. And now he's in a situation where he likely has little to no contact with the communities that he helped establish. And it appears that he's made almost as many enemies, maybe more enemies than friends, along the way because he names names. And I'm telling you a lot of names of opponents who have come against him. Twice he says the phrase in this letter, everyone deserted me. And indeed, he says only Luke, his traveling ministry companion through the book of Acts, is with him. But that's where Timothy comes in and this letter. From a place of loneliness I'm describing, Paul reaches out to his son in the faith, of whom he once said in one of his letters, I have no one else like him. He writes what will form a sort of last will and testament, recommissioning his younger apprentice Timothy into the worth work of ministering for the gospel, even against opposition and suffering. And of course, as the name of our series suggests, Paul is calling Timothy back to this pattern of sound teaching that Paul both modeled in his words and in his actions over the decades that they ministered together. Now let me tell you something, that is not the most happy backdrop for a letter. And there's going to be some dark things that we're even going to read in these first 14 verses this morning. But what you've got to understand is then, this is about this faith and this hope and this power in God that is stress-tested. Okay, I mean, what Paul goes through, what he has been through, and yet to have the faith and the strength and the courage, the love, the hope, I mean, it is. it shows that if he can have it through all these circumstances, how much more can we as believers, no matter what we're going to face. So yes, there's a dark backdrop, but man, we're going to be encouraged, I believe, before our time is up this morning. Let's read this letter from Paul to Timothy, 2 Timothy. We're starting in verse 1. The verses will also be on the screens. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you, Timothy, in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also." For this reason, I'm reminded, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of His own purpose and grace. 
This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Let's pause there this morning. Paul begins this letter in verse 2 with a classic Christian greeting for his dear son or beloved child of the faith, that is Timothy. This is a similar sentiment as what we see in the first letter to Timothy. In that letter, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, Paul refers to Timothy as his true son in the faith. Guys, this is what the faith does to you. This is what the faith does to our relationships with one another. It makes you family. It turns you from strangers into brothers and sisters, and fathers and mothers, and daughters and sons in the church community. That's what happens over time in faith community. You know, Jesus didn't say, a new command I give you, come together and loosely associate with each other on Sunday mornings and sit near strangers. That wasn't the vision God gave us for community, but that's the extent that some people experience. Now, Jesus said, a new command I give you in John chapter 13, verse 34. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another in the way that I loved you. I laid down my life for you. You're going to lay down your life for each other. And when we love like Jesus loved one another, then we become what God has already made us. We become true family with one another. Paul's love for his son in the faith leads him to express just how in mind Timothy is at all times. Verses 3 and 4, he says, constantly, day and night, I'm praying for you, Timothy. I'm thinking about you. I long to be reunited with you. Because the last time apparently they were together, there were tears when they separated. Now you've got to understand, this wasn't like you guys saying goodbye to me for six weeks on sabbatical. You know, you guys, see ya, have fun. You know, we'll hold down the fort for you. Catch you later. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. No, this is, that's not what was going on here with Paul and Timothy. In the ancient world, with the persecution, the obstacles that he was facing, it was essentially like Paul was deploying to an active war zone. You know, Timothy and Paul probably thought, I don't know if we're ever going to see each other again, and probably they wouldn't see each other, seeing as Paul was likely executed soon after the composition of this letter in the Roman Colosseum. Now, aware that these may be his last words to Timothy, Paul seems to take every opportunity to call forward and speak into who Timothy is as an individual. It's like when you know you have an extended, like, terminal illness, you put it all out on the table. Nothing is held back. You say everything that needs to be said because you know the priority. You know the weight of the time that you have left. So Paul starts by affirming Timothy's heritage. He says, I remember the faith heritage you have that started with your, your grandmother Lois and into your mother Eunice. And I love that the word is, you know, constant through all time. It's, this is like classic grandmother names right here. That's exactly what you picture today. This is how relevant the Bible is. 2,000 years ago, grandmothers called the same things. Lois and Eunice here. 
But the point is, he's going, this is a heritage that you come from. Think of who you are, Timothy. Your grandmother to your mother to you. The faith was alive in them. The way he uses this word, it means to dwell in, to live in. It's not like his grandmother and his mother, they had faith. They believe in Jesus. No, the faith had them, right? They were captivated by it. They were changed by it. And so that was passed down to Timothy. Now, it's worth noting here that although Paul was like a spiritual father to Timothy, there is no mention of Timothy's biological father or grandfather or them having any role in shaping his faith whatsoever. It was his grandmother and his mother who represent the roots of this faith heritage Timothy now enjoys. So it appears that the absence of men as spiritual leaders, as spiritual fathers, that trend is as old as time. That's also something that reaches back 2,000 years. Now, I'm grateful. Steve Shea, my father, is maybe one of the most shining examples of the faith and of character in Christ that I could ever have, that I could ever see. Most of you will agree with me who know my father. Now, as I was growing up, I realized, well, that's not the rule. That's the exception. Most of you have not had fathers who were spiritual examples to you of the faith. Now, the beauty and the silver lining here is that in the absence of what Timothy had biologically, God sent Paul to be a spiritual father. And so that's the commission on all of us men of faith because we got our work cut out for us in the world. We got to fill in the gap for a lot of the examples that are not there. And yet I also want to encourage the women here this morning that you have the power in the absence of your husband, either his presence physically or his presence spiritually in the home, you have the power to entrust and impart the faith that God has given you in your children. You don't need someone else. You don't need that person present to be able to successfully lead your children in the Lord. Do not believe the lie. I want to break that lie this morning that you are incapable because that person is either not there physically or not there spiritually to aid you. No way. I mean, this is one of the most shining examples of the generation that followed the apostles in Timothy. And look, his strength of faith came first from his grandmother to his mother to him. Now, having recalled and called forth Timothy's strong faith heritage, Paul then acknowledges the unique gifting and call Timothy has in his ministry for the Lord Jesus. Paul says in verse 6, fan into flame, fan into flame, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, what's he referring to here? He could be referring to the gift of God's Spirit, which is common to all of us. The Scriptures say anyone who places their faith in Jesus, you know, you're going to receive the Spirit of God dwelling in you. So that could have been what was conferred, or maybe it's the special gifting of the Holy Spirit, some special calling or ability that Timothy received by God's presence in his life that came through the laying on of hands, that came through this act of sort of divine sanction and commissioning that we even do to this day. He says, whatever it was, fan that thing into flame. Now, I have been playing with fire a lot recently uh, because I'm bored. No, because, that's frightening, go on sabbatical. No, because I bought a smoker. Can I get an amen out here from any men that uh, have been trying? And women, women, it's equal opportunity, you know. Let me be careful here. It's just classically overgeneralization. Traegers, guys, yeah, it's like bread and butter here. So 
Let me tell you, I've been, I've been learning to play with fire. This can, this can be a borderline obsession, you know, where you get up in the middle of the night to start a cook at like, you know, 3 a.m. because you're that passionate about some brisket later in the day. I'm, I'm, I'm on that level, all right? It's scary. Help me. But I've learned about fire. There's three things that you need for fire. What do you need? You need fuel, you need heat, and oxygen, air. Yeah, fire breeds oxygen to grow. So I got a, I got a real smoker. I don't have one of these things that you set with your smartphone, all right? Because I don't have a smartphone, so I couldn't set it if I, if I did. No, I got old school. This thing's one of those egg types. Very complicated. It has two vents by which you control the oxygen flow. It's simple. I could teach you in like 30 seconds how it works. But I like to feel like I have my hands involved in this mess. And, and, and really... You know, if you open up those vents, you can get a rolling blaze. You got the fuel in there, and you strike the match, and that's that friction. It causes the heat, and that's that flame in there. And then you open those vents, and that thing will get up to 750 degrees in there. It'll get hot. But if you want to shut it off, you just close the vents. You just smother it of oxygen. You know, just take away the oxygen. It's the same thing with a candle. If you put a bowl over a candle, that flame goes out, right? So Paul is saying to Timothy here, I want you to open up the vents in your life. I want you to get some oxygen on this flame. And this reminds me that, you know, we work with God in the work that He's doing in us. You know, it's not just something God does without our investment at all. Our life is the fuel. And God's the flame. He'll bring the heat. You know, it's His Spirit that's that's lighting inside of each one of us. But we got to open up the vents. we got to fan that flame to see it turn into a rolling blaze through prayer, through dependence on God's Word, through dependence on the purposes of God. And here's where Paul begins to preach a bit to Timothy. He goes from, okay, let me call out the good I see in you, Timothy. I love you. And I know this faith heritage, it it dates back with you. And I know you've got a gift that came through the laying on of hands. But now I need you to seize it. I need you to lean into it. I need you to fan that flame because the nature of the spirit God gave us, Paul says, is not suited for timidity. Another way you could translate that is cowardice or fear. The life of God in all of us is not meant to be just this pilot light that just kind of sits in the background, sort of lit. No, we're supposed to press the gas on that flame until it is a rolling blaze within us. Now, that was not natural to Timothy. From what we can surmise in the Scriptures, we put together the context. Timothy was timid. He was maybe, you know, hesitant. He was cast into leadership at a young age, but I think he kind of felt in over his head. And even the Scriptures sort of give us this picture of him being a bit sickly. Like he was kind of prone to physical illness. Now this is where Timothy's my namesake, because this is me. And in fact, my middle name is Timothy, if you don't know that. And that felt very appropriate as I was thrust into a leadership role at 23 years old, a little bit in over my head. And I think back to my childhood. If you met me as a child, I could not speak to you individually, person to person. I was so timid, much less hundreds of people on a Sunday proclaiming the purpose of life and spirituality and everything else. Like, that's the furthest thing from what I could imagine. So that's not natural to me to be in these places of you know, speaking or standing up or courage in this case, what's demanded of Timothy, and it wasn't natural to him. But the amazing thing, when you place your faith in Jesus and you receive the Spirit of God, 
it's no longer about what is just natural to you. Because now you have access to what is natural to God through you. Which is this promise of power and love and self-discipline. That is the strength to accomplish God's purposes. Power. And that's this self-giving and self-sacrificial concern for others. That's love. And it's the ability to take our passions and our desires and our wants and to reorder them. That is self-discipline. It's not just you anymore living this life. It's God living this life through you. What an encouragement. You know, at home in my neighborhood, it's not just us anymore in our neighborhood. It's now called the Shaberhood because others have flocked to our neighborhood from this church community. It's a beautiful thing. My, my neighborhood is actually sitting in the front row. The Nelsons and the Hernandezes right here. What's the chances here? Their neighbors, their neighbors right here. And I just want to affirm uh, everybody. Thank you all. Um, Bobby's our executive pastor. He lives just behind me, and he, he handles all sorts of things for the church, whether it's the smallest of tasks to the most, you know, important tasks of high magnitude, and he drums like a crazy man. He was doing it this morning. But he also helps me carry things at my house all the time. I'm sorry. Like when said smoker arrives at my house, and it's hundreds of pounds, and it's sitting there in the middle of my driveway... And I'm looking like a doofus in the neighborhood, you know, for hours. Who do I call? I call up Bobby. I say, Bobby, I can't lift this. I don't have the strength to lift this on my own. You go, I'll be right over. And we manage it together, don't we? Yeah, that's right. That's right. We can together because it's not me anymore. That's the same truth of the Spirit. That it's no longer just us anymore lifting and facing the things that we face in life. You know, it's not just you facing your addiction. It's not just you facing that sin and that wrongdoing from your past that you want to get rid of. It's not just you witnessing for Jesus and telling people the truth about what life is all about. It's not just you fighting for the healing of your marriage or the healing of your relationship with your estranged children. It's not you anymore. You have the Spirit of God to enable you in the midst of those circumstances to do what you can't do in yourself. I can't tell you how many times through the ministry I needed a sabbatical because here's what I was saying. I was saying, God, I can't do this. I can't go on. I've said that over all kinds of different circumstances in my life. Has anyone else ever said that? God, I can't do this. I can't go on. I don't know how to go on. And what I've heard in prayer every time is God says, you're exactly right. You can't do this. I can do this. I can do this through you. I've been waiting for you to admit, you can't do this. You're not good at this. You don't have this natural capacity. And I don't need you to. All I need you to do is rely on me. Because I have the capacity that you do not have. That's what Paul is encouraging in Timothy. He says, since God has given us this spirit, Timothy is not to recoil from the shame of association with either Paul or the gospel mission that he's been given, which would be natural because of Timothy's disposition. I think it would be natural for anybody. I mean, Timothy's had a front row seat to all the trouble that Paul's been through, that Timothy's been through too. Years and years and years of you're proclaiming grace and forgiveness and you can go to heaven despite your sin and people are persecuting you for it, for loving them. You know, what is this world? But that's what he's going through, and he sees the persecution. He's getting beat down all the time. And, you know, for all the work that Paul's put in, 
Here he is languishing in a prison, basically by himself. So Paul says, hey, wait. (laughs) Timothy, don't lean out. Don't tuck tail and run. Lean in. Join me in suffering for the gospel. Because maybe your natural inclination would be to pull away, but the Spirit of God is in you to enable you to lean in. But wait a minute, what did I just say? What did Paul just say? Join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God? Is that really what the power of God is for? Is for suffering for the sake of the gospel? Did a scribe leave out some words here? Did somebody mishear Paul when they're writing down the letter? Join me in suffering? I thought the power of God was to help us through life to escape suffering. I thought the power of God was such that, you know, our life goes from bad and then we give our life to Jesus and then it goes better, 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 better. That's the power of God. Paul would say, no way. My circumstances are worse on the other side of my faith in Jesus. Really? (laughs) Yeah, look at what he says. Through faith in Jesus, the path that I'm taking, my circumstances are actually worse. Verses 9 to 12, Paul draws this straight line from this calling to live into this holy, set-apart, different path of following Jesus that was a grace from God. You know, and he's, and he's been made a herald and a church planter and a teacher of this message, this good news that the Son of God has come and He's died on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. He's been buried and He was raised to life, defeating death and offering immortality, eternal life to anyone who places their faith in Him. He says, I was a herald of this. I'm a church planter. I've given my life as a teacher for this. And that's why in verse 12, my life is so grand. That's why I'd fly in a $50 million jet. Now, there's some people saying that today. What does he say? God appointed me for this, and that's why I'm suffering as I am. I think we all go, oh, you know, that's Paul. That's not me. Bad for him. But really, Paul says this later on in chapter 3, verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So now that includes us if we want to live a godly life. That sounds painful. You know, something painful that I want to take up, I want to make a pastime in my life is running. This is a goal I have for sabbatical, is I would begin running. Now you're there to hold me accountable. I'll come back in six weeks and I'll either be a runner or I won't be. I'll be shame-filled. You know, this is part of my whole deal with sabbatical. You know, you got six weeks to a better you, right? So I'm going to run and I, oh, I'm going to read some books, and then I make a stack of books this high, and then I'm going to somehow be 6'8 on the other side of it or something. Like, I'm, I'm going to find a way. Like, I'm going to come back a new man, right? But I want to tackle this thing about running. And, and I've realized something the more I've talked to runners is that it's painful for them. I didn't realize that. I thought there was a difference between me and runners. That, like, it was painful for me, and it's fun for them. See, because when I run, I have the message that tells me, this is painful, stop. And I compromise with that message all the time. I, I follow that voice in my heart. And now I walk home immediately. That, that's what I do. That's why I'm not a runner. But a runner hears this word, this is painful, this is painful, and they keep going. Why? Because it's good. And that's been a word in my life. I just feel like it keeps coming to me and about the ministry, about life in general, that this life of following Jesus, it's not easy. It's good. 
We don't follow Jesus because it's easy. We follow Jesus because it's good. If you want an easy life, do not live a godly life. Do not serve anybody. Serve yourself. Do not give to anybody else. Keep all those resources for yourself. Do not share who you are with anyone else. Don't promote intimacy and relationships. Don't listen to anybody else. Don't invest in and build community and be a source of community for other people. Don't share with people the purpose of life. Just keep your head down and stay in your lane. Keep to yourself, and you will live an easy life. But we're not called to an easy life. We're called to a good life, the godly life. That's what Paul is reminding Timothy of, this higher calling, this holy calling set apart. He's not saying, Timothy, do this because it's going to be so easy for you. He's saying it's going to be so, so good. Now, Paul doesn't just cite the power of the Holy Spirit to make Timothy strong, to do what Timothy can't do in his own strength. He doesn't just cite this higher calling that isn't easy, but that's good. He says in verse 12, you're going to keep facing down suffering. You're going to keep facing down hardship in verse 12 because of this confidence that Paul's modeling that comes from knowing in whom he has believed and how he in whom he has believed is able to guard what Paul has entrusted to him until that day, that being the day of Paul's vindication in heaven. The circumstances are not easy. They're horrible for Paul based on what he's done for God's kingdom. But he goes, I know in whom I have trusted. I trust God. I know what the future holds because of him. And I know that this day is awful, but I know that day is coming in eternity when I step into heaven, and that's going to make sense of all the days I'm going through right now. It's this wider perspective that Paul has. He's trying to download on Timothy. I talked about this wider perspective in an analogy a couple weeks ago. I talked about how I hate heights. I hate ropes courses. You know, I cannot remember that there's the net and there's the line attached to me because all my mind is thinking, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die because I shouldn't be up here. And I mentioned that I don't like flying because that's heights on steroids, right? But I try to cover myself in flying because I, I step back. I have the skill. I look at the flight tracker that tells you that there's like 7,500, 8,000 planes in the air right now. So you're looking in, you know, the sphere, you're going to crash, but you see they're all flying. They're all up in the air right now. None of them are crashing. And then my voice still tells me, but you'll be the one. You know, so it doesn't matter. But that's, that's part of my tools. That's part of my fight is to get that wider perspective. And that's what Paul is giving to Timothy, a wider perspective. When we suffer and when we face obstacles, our vision shrinks. When we fear, our vision shrinks. I'm up there, net, rope, looking down. All I can see is heights. I'm up in the plane. doesn't matter there's 8,000 planes in the air. All I can think is crashing, Right? Our world shrinks down to the size of that trial that we're in. But Paul says we as believers have this ability to look beyond what is in front of us to whom we have believed in, to God. It doesn't matter what's going on in the current day that we're facing, no matter how difficult it is, we can consider that day when God leads us into the fullness of His kingdom in heaven. The best anyone else can do, apart from the faith in this life, is just kind of hope things get better. And there's no promise that they will. You see how God's presence and our hope and our calling and our knowing God changes everything for us in the face of even the most difficult times. This is the fruit 
of faith and trust in God. So Paul's final words in this section to Timothy are to embrace and guard this message that has brought them strength and power because it is the pattern of sound teaching. You could translate that word sound as healthy. This is healthy teaching. The more you give your life to these truths, the more you lean into what this series is going to entail through God's Word, the more nourishment that that is going to bring to your soul, even as your circumstances may not change. I recently potted all these different plants, and I got one plant. It doesn't matter what I do for that plant. I fertilized it. I watered it. I gave it sun. I gave it less sun. I gave it half sun. I gave it, you know, all upside down. I gave it moon. I gave it the stars. I gave it everything. That sucker just keeps wilting more every day. It just keeps dying. And that's a metaphor for people in this world. I mean, you can serve yourself and live that easy life and insulate and whatever, fertilize and spend everything on you. And, you know, Jesus says in John 15, our namesake passage, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you work all your life to make yourself healthy by your own strength, you just wilt. You're just wilting more and more. It doesn't matter what you do. But the inverse is true for a follower of Jesus. No matter what goes on in our circumstances, it doesn't matter if they get harder and harder and more difficult and more difficult. The Spirit of God is there to continually nourish our souls and make us stronger in even some of the worst circumstances we could face in this life. So just as Jesus last week called His disciples to be those who keep His words, to secure His words, to obey everything that He said, so Paul is saying to Timothy, keep guard secure these words of life because they will be to you the nourishment for your soul no matter what comes next this is a message of spiritual empowerment that has been stress tested if it works here in what paul's going through it can work here in whatever we're going through so my purpose is to open up the vents it's to throw some oxygen on the flame of what god is doing in your life to fan that flame with some oxygen. Let me give you a few spiritual principles that we walk away with about the Holy Spirit from 2 Timothy chapter 1 before we end our time together. First of all, I want to say this, this principle straight from 2 Timothy chapter 1. When we can't, the Spirit of God can. When we can't, the Spirit of God can. There are so many things that God calls us to that are daunting and challenging and unnatural to us. And when we say we can't, we're right. We cannot in and of ourselves. But God gave us His Spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. Stop searching for something in yourself to meet the moment that you're in, the challenge that you're in, as if you could find it in yourself. The purpose is not, and God is not holding you to a standard of you finding it in yourself. He's waiting for you to be dependent on Him and admit you need Him and so find the strength that He can provide. When we can't, the Spirit can. Number two, another principle here from 2 Timothy chapter 1. The Spirit empowers us through our suffering, not always out of our suffering. I made this point on Monday night when I did the spiritual gifts class. The Spirit of God will always empower us through suffering, but will not always give us an escape out from suffering. This is proved in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, you have testimonies of the Spirit of God, God doing amazing miracles. They're preaching the gospel and they get thrown in prison. And then an earthquake hits and they're released from prison because God miraculously freed them. It's amazing. We celebrate it. 
But then you also have times where the Spirit of God is simply empowering Paul as he's in chains before going to the Colosseum. The Spirit of God is in both situations. You know, our circumstances aren't always going to improve in Jesus. Let me say that again. Our circumstances won't always improve in Jesus, but our souls will always be made stronger. It's not necessarily going to be easy, but God promises it will be good. It will be good. Third spiritual principle from 2 Timothy chapter 1. The Spirit of God is our source of well-being at all times. The Spirit of God is your source of well-being at all times and my source of well-being at all times. If your source of well-being, your sense of peace and satisfaction in life is dictated by your dopamine hits, then you're going to keep drugging yourself. And you're going to keep living a life of dissipation or you're going to have to keep buying things or you're going to have to keep feeding that pleasure center in your brain over and over and over again and it'll always empty you out. That bucket is going to drain faster than you can fill it if that's where your sense of well-being comes from. If your sense of well-being is hitched to my circumstances are going to be easy and good. Well, then you can just insulate yourself and keep yourself on lockdown as far away from any kind of risk as possible in your life so that you can have as easy of a time as you want, but you still won't be able to escape hardship in this world. You'll lose that sense of well-being. But if your sense of well-being is attached to God and His Spirit and the hope we have in the Gospel, nothing can steal it from you. Paul's saying, I don't care who is against me because I know in whom I have believed. That changes everything for me. I don't care how many enemies I have because I know in whom I have believed and I trust Him. That is God. Because I don't know. I'm languishing in a prison right here. I'm in chains. I feel like I've been deserted. But I know that day. I know that day is coming. And that's where my peace is. And that's where my sense of well-being comes from. That's the promise for every single one of us as well this morning. So I want to do something this morning with the time that we have left. I really want to take an opportunity to pray for you if you need prayer. I know we give space every single weekend, but I want to really give some space this weekend. Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters who are seeking your strength, Lord, that you would provide it in great measure. Lord, that they would know when they can't accomplish something that you can by your power that they're called to something that may not be easy but it's good lord you have a calling upon their lives and no matter what they're facing no matter who they're against whatever the circumstances may be they know in whom they have trusted lord so give them a revelation of who you are and what that day will be like for all of us lord beyond the days of this world bless my brothers and sisters in jesus name Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? So grateful for you. A time of ministry with each other. If you still need prayer, if you need follow-up on the other side of the service, we as pastors are always available. I think of the people that go back and they watch the service after the fact. If you're watching this, it's pre-recorded. And you need prayer, you need ministry, reach out to care at Branches HB. Call the church line. Call a brother or sister. Let's rely on the strength that God is going to give us one to another as we minister to each other in the Spirit. Let's also sing. Let's just sing of the great work that the Lord is doing this morning and in our lives.